verse number 40 is where we'll begin this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 40. The Bible says, And he, talking about David, took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, and ruddy, and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog, that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Notice the little g, gods. Verse 44, And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass, uh, I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, David's other weapons. David's other weapons. And let's pray together. Our Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning. Some great truths that are waiting to be discovered, waiting, not new truth, there is no new truth, but old truths that are waiting to be rediscovered and to be implemented into our lives as your people this morning. Father, I pray that uh, the folks in this room this morning who are saved, who do know for sure that heaven is their home, I pray that you help us to rejoice in what Jesus did for us. And yes, Father, help us to take on these other weapons that David used in his fight against Goliath. And then, Father, I pray for the, the ones who may be here this morning who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray that you'd, uh, may this be the day, the crowning day of their life when they uh, at last, once and for all, receive Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. I pray that you'd help us, instruct us, and uh, edify the saints, and may Jesus be exalted in this service. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. <clears throat> A teenager named David came out of Saul's tent at the battlefield. He had been in a meeting with the king of Israel. It wasn't that he had planned on doing... I'm sorry, it wasn't what he had planned on doing when his daddy, Jesse, asked him to take a care package to his brothers. His brothers were soldiers in the army of Israel, and David went to see how they were doing to make sure that everything was going well. And As David came out of King Saul's tent, a big goon named Goliath had come into the valley to curse and swear and to defy Israel, her army, and her God. You might recall Goliath, the Bible says, was of the descendants of the children of Anak, and it, it is not at all out of the realm of possibility that, that Goliath was indeed a giant. The Bible is not be using hyperbole when it re refers to Goliath as a giant. You see, uh, Goliath, the Bible tells us, was anywhere from nine and a, nine and a half feet tall uh, uh, to 11 feet tall. Now, Anybody who can make Shaquille O'Neal look like a dwarf is a big guy. I mean, we're talking about a big galoot right here, all right? Goliath was huge. 
And every day, for the past several days, Goliath had come down to the valley of Elah to make a challenge to God's people. He said, you know, there's no sense in there being a lot of bloodshed in our, uh, in our country today. And uh, if, if the baby uh, is, is going to be uh, uh, loud, please uh, use the nurseries. That will be a big help to you and a help to those around you who need to listen. So if we could uh, use those nurseries, that would be a, a tremendous blessing. Thank you for your help and cooperation with that. But Goliath, he was, uh, he was a big guy. He was a huge guy. And he came down to the, the, uh, the, the valley every uh, morning, and he would issue a charge. He'd say, you know what, there's no sense in everybody dying. He said, why don't we just have a one-on-one -on -one duel to determine whether or not the Israelites serve the Philistines or the Philistines serve the nation of Israel. He said, send me a man down here and let's fight this thing out. And if I kill your man, then uh, we'll be your, uh, uh, you'll be our servants. And if you kill me, then the Philistines will be the servants of the nation of Israel. Well... David happened to be there that day, if you believe in circum, if you believe in coincidences, and I personally don't believe in coincidences. There's a God in heaven who ordained all of this to happen the way it did. And David shows up at the battlefield that particular day, and he heard the blasphemies and volunteered to go do something about putting Goliath in his place. And so somebody heard David say, hey, I'll go. And, uh, and so somebody, that somebody who heard it went to Saul, King Saul, and said, King Saul, there is a man here who's willing to go and fight against Goliath. <laughs> and Saul said, well, whoever he is, send him in here. I want to talk to him. And if I can use this uh, microphone, fellas, thank you. He, uh, he said, I want to talk to him. And so <clears throat> they sent for David, and David comes, and he goes into the tent where uh, King Saul was uh, kind of had his uh, makeshift office there at the battlefront. And Saul said to David, he said, I hear that you want to fight Goliath. And David said, nobody should talk about my God like that goon down there is talking about my God. And nobody should talk about the armies of Israel like that big uh, Goliath down there is talking about the armies of Israel. And nobody should talk about my king like that Goliath is talking about my king. And if you're, if you're okay with it, King Saul, I want to go down there and do something about that big giant Goliath. And I'm sure Saul, I wasn't there. And, and uh, now keep in mind, David was a teenager. He was your average Joe teenager. He was probably, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years of age. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically how old he was. There's a lot of speculation from Bible commentators and so forth. But needless to say, David was a very young man. And uh, he dwarfed in comparison to Goliath. And so I'm sure that when Saul heard David say, I want to go do something about that giant, I'm sure Saul probably kind of laughed under his breath a little bit. Something like, you want to do what? You want to go where? You want to kill him? Really? And, and David said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I, that's what I want to do. I believe God has me here to do this. And, uh, and Saul said, now, wait a minute, David. You understand something that Goliath is a man of war. He's been fighting since he was your age. And look at him. He's 9, 10, 11 feet tall. He's, uh, he's had all this experience. He is a veteran in the army of the Philistines. And you understand, David, that uh, Goliath is uh, he's an expert in war. That's what man of war refers to. He's expert in the field of, uh, of, of being a soldier. And he said, understand, David, I under look, 
I appreciate your willingness to go. David, I really do. David, I, I really appreciate the fact that you care enough about me as your king and about Israel as your nation and about Jehovah God as your God. David, I appreciate the fact that you want to go do something about it, but David, we need to temper your enthusiasm just a little bit. We need to make sure that you're not biting off more than you can chew here, son. You see, you're just a teenager, and Goliath has been a man of war since his youth. And, and, uh, and, and David said, well, look, King Saul, here's what happened. When I was keeping my father's sheep out of the wilderness, on two different occasions, one time, a bear came out of the woods and attacked my sheep. And I said, I'll have none of that. And I took these bare hands, King Saul, and I killed that bear. On another occasion, a lion came again to attack one of my sheep. And I took these bare hands, King Saul, and I, uh, and I killed that lion. I killed a bear, and I killed a lion, and the same God that's going to help me kill Goliath was the same God who helped me kill that bear and that lion. And King Saul, well, you know, David, I appreciate that, and that's, that's really impressive, but we're not talking about just a couple of animals out of the wilderness. We're talking about a trained soldier. And so they went back and forth, and finally Saul said, Okay, David, go ahead, and, and the Lord go with you, but wait a minute, before you go, maybe you should take my armor. Now, the Bible says that King Saul was head and shoulders taller than all the other men of Israel. And so if King Saul was that tall, uh, then his armor would not fit anyone but Saul. And so Saul said, David, why don't you take my armor? And so uh, David went back in the fitting room and he, he uh, put on King Saul's armor and he came out and it probably was the most hilarious thing Saul had seen all day. David took three steps before King Saul's armor moved the first inch. And uh, it was way too big for him. And King Saul said, David, what do you think? He said, King Saul, all due respect, I'm going to go fight that Goliath, but I, I can't go with your armor. And the Bible gives a wonderful statement. He, David said, I have not proved them. He said, King Saul, I've never killed anything with your armor, but i tell you what I do have. I've got a slingshot. <laughs> I've got this slingshot. Now, I'm pretty good with it, if you, if you don't mind me saying, and I'm not trying to be proud or boastful or anything, but I'm, uh, I'm pretty adept at using this here slingshot. And David was not a soldier. He had no military training. He had no battlefield experience or fancy weapons or armor or sword or shield. But, uh, but David said... King Saul, I just want to go with what I know. I want to go with what's familiar to me. And King Saul finally said, all right, David, you go. And, let, and may God go with you, David. So David uh, walks out of the tent of King Saul, and he heads toward the valley to meet Goliath, this giant. The Bible tells us that he had a couple of things in his hands. Look back with me, if you will, at verse number 40, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 40. The Bible says, and he took his staff in his hand. So we know that in one hand, <clears throat> David had a staff. Now, this staff is nothing more than a walking stick. And uh, many of you have done this. Maybe you're out in the woods hunting, fellas, or, or uh, taking a walk out in, in some uncharted territories. Maybe there's no path there. And so many times you may grab just a, a, a stick, as it were, maybe five or six feet tall, <clears throat> and you just kind of uh, shred the, the, uh, the little branches off of it, and, uh, and you use it uh, to kind of help clear your path. That's what David had in his hand, just a staff, a walking stick, if you will. And if you're there in verse number 40, read it with me. It says, And he chosen five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in a script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So verse number 40 tells us what David took to the valley with which to fight Goliath. 
He had his staff in one hand. He had in the other hand, the Bible says, his sling was in his hand. On the way down to the valley where he would meet uh, Goliath, the Bible says that he stopped <clears throat> and uh, by the brook there that was making its way toward the valley, David stopped and the Bible says he picked up five smooth stones. There's been a lot of speculation about why David chose five stones. Was it because he uh, he wanted to have some extra just in case he needed more than one, just in case he missed the first time? I don't know. Some people speculate that that uh, Goliath had uh, brothers and David was going to take out the whole family while he was down there. I don't know. I don't know which is which. <laughs> but certainly, David, the Bible tells us, picks up five smooth stones and he put them in his shepherd's bag that was no doubt draped around his shoulder. And so here he is. Get the picture. Here's David. The Redheaded. The Bible. You look up the word ruddy. There. It means uh, David was a, a fair countenance. He was. Uh, he was redhead, and uh, uh, and he uh, uh, he's walking down there. He's got a staff in one hand. He's got a slingshot in the other hand. He's got his shepherd's bag around his shoulder, and he's got five smooth stones in that bag. And here he goes. That's all he has to go and fight a ten foot tall giant. Now, you hear that, and of course. Uh, if you've been in church any length of time at all, you know how the story ends, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But to the casual observer, David is not even close to being prepared for the opponent that he's about to face. <laughs> even to the casual observer, you're thinking, boy, this guy, this, this is going to be ugly. This is, th this is not good at all. The odds were not in David's favor whatsoever. Here it is, 10-foot-tall giant, expert warrior, covered in armor, massive shield carried by Goliath's sidekick, the Bible tells us, sword that was almost the size of David, and we know how the story ends. The shepherd boy versus Goliath. The untrained uh, uh, teenager versus the career warrior. Now, Goliath taunts little David and is insulted that Saul would allow just a boy to come and attempt a man's job. David runs to meet Goliath and takes out the stone, uh, one of the stones that he'd picked up by the brook, and he puts it in his sling and he lets it fly. Goliath falls to the ground. David runs and pulls out Goliath's own sword and cuts his head off and raises it up in victory. And the armies of Israel on one side of the valley of Elah, boy, they cheer and they get their, their, their battle ready, their armaments ready, and they go and chase the Philistines, and there's a great victory for God's people that day. Now, Tons of sermons have been preached from this story. Tons of them. I've heard most of them. Amen. <laughs> Many lessons have been given from the story of David and Goliath, but today I want to focus on one small aspect, and that is this. David took with him to the battle that day more than just a staff in one hand and a sling in the other and five smooth stones. Those were not the only weapons that David took to that valley. You say, Pastor, verse 40, that's all it says. There's nothing, there's no mention of a sword. There's no mention, in fact, he had to use Goliath's sword to cut his head off after he, after he felled him with the stone. Uh, uh, the Bible only talks about a staff and a, and a slingshot and five smooth stones. What other weapons are you talking about? This morning I want to preach to you on that subject, David's other weapons. You see, David had some things that he was going to need as he faced the enemy. And you and I have uh, obstacles that we face on a daily basis. And the success of your life and my life depends on how we face the obstacles in front of us. How we face the enemy in front of us. So, bear with me as this morning as I preach on David's other weapons. I submit to you that David took 
other things with him besides staff and sling and stones. The first weapon that David took with him that I want to focus on this morning, David took courage with him to the battlefield. David didn't just go with a staff and with a slingshot and with five smooth stones. No, David had some courage about him. David had some uh, some bravery, if you will. No one would be so foolish to think that David wasn't scared to death. Now, if you really think that David was uh, uh, cocky and arrogant, <clears throat> uh, now, and, and I understand what he said to Saul, but I'm sure when David left Saul's tent and he starts making his way down that uh, next to the brook, down toward the valley, I'm sure his heart was pounding. He probably could hear it, <laughs> not just feel it. I'm sure David was petrified. Anybody would be petrified. And to think that, that, that he wasn't really, I, I think, is, uh, is really not even uh, uh, sensical. But David, here he is. He is, uh, in verse 32, the Bible says that David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And I'm sure as soon as he said that, walked out of Saul's tent, David probably thought to himself, What have I done? You ever done that before? How did I talk myself into this? Whose idea was this? <laughs> this is not why I came to the battlefield this morning. This is more than, I, more than I bargained for. You know, understand something. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage to do right is not the absence of fear. Courage uh, is, uh, is, not, uh, is not this uh, uh, bravado. No, I, I don't believe for a moment that David was fearless. I do, however, believe that David's relationship with the Lord gave him the courage that was revealed in a great time of danger. And by the way, courage is always revealed when the chips are down. Courage is always revealed when uh, when there is danger that abounds. Yeah, Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 1, the Bible tells us this, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous, don't miss it, are as bold as a lion. Who is bold as a lion? The Bible says the righteous man is bold as a lion. You see, courage comes from your walk with God. Courage comes from righteousness. Courage comes from doing right. Courage comes when you, when you spend time with the Lord. Courage comes when you camp out in His holiness and you're aware of who God is. And, and there's that, there's that relationship there that you ought to have with your Maker. You know, we see it in the three Hebrew boys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their Hebrew names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, but we know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, there they are on the plains of Dura, and the uh, image of Nebuchadnezzar had been built. And they said, hey, as soon as you hear the music, as soon as you hear all the instruments play, everyone is to fall uh, prostrate, fall uh, 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 flat on your face before this image of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the three Hebrew boys had a decision to make. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, you know what, um, we may burn. <laughs> because the punishment, the penalty for not bowing to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar was, hey, if you don't bow, we've got a fiery furnace over here, and you're going to be charcoal. You're going to, <laughs> you're going to be deep fried. Uh, you are going into the fire if you don't bow. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, <clears throat> they looked at one another, and maybe they had a little conference, I don't know. Maybe they said, hey, Shadrach, what do you think? I don't know, Meshach, what do you think? Hey, Abednego, what do you think about all this? Uh, we're, uh, we, we may burn if we don't bow. And I don't know how the story, uh, we know how the story went, but I don't know how, all the details of what uh, happened between those young men, but they, they summoned the courage to do what was right to do. 
They said, we may burn, old Nebuchadnezzar, but we're not going to bow. <laughs> you may throw us in that fiery furnace, but we're not going to bow to that image. We only bow to Jehovah God. You see, we saw that courage in those Hebrew boys. We see that courage in Daniel as he prays in spite of the king's decree. Uh, king Darius sent out the decree and said, if you pray to anyone else for 30 days other than the king himself, you're going to be thrown into a, 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 a den of lions. And the Bible says, oh, I love that verse. The Bible says after Daniel knew that the decree was signed, he went back to his room and he opened his windows uh, toward facing Jerusalem as he did aforetime. And just like he had done every single day for months and months and years and years, <coughs> Daniel prayed. Knowing what the penalty was going to be, knowing that folks had set him up, knowing that people were out to get him, knowing that uh, that there were dire circumstances and dire consequences if he did what he should do, but there was courage there. God give us Christians of courage in 2018. God give us uh, uh, men of God. God give us women. God give us teenagers and boys and girls who decide, you know what, I'm going to live by principle. I'm going to live by the truth of the Word of God. I'm, I'm not going to be swayed by everybody's opinion of me or who likes me or who doesn't like me because of my stand. I'm just going to do right. Do right. Oh, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. has been, he's been in heaven now for probably 60 years, I would guess. Dr. Bob Jones Sr., he was famous for that message, do right. Do right, do right if the stars fall. Do right, do right. There was King Saul back in the tent. Here's David going down to fight Goliath. And there's King Saul back in his tent. If anybody should have gone to fight Goliath, if anybody should have had the courage to fight Goliath, it should have been King Saul. After all, he was head and shoulders above all the other men of Israel. After all, God did make him king. After all, he was the one who should have been out <coughs> fighting the battle and, uh, and being out leading the charge against the Philistines. It should have been King Saul, but instead of being in the valley to fight the giant, King Saul was in his tent, wringing his hands over what to do about the situation. He should have been the one going. He should have been the one that expressed a quiet confidence in the sovereignty of God. But what happened to Saul? I believe the answer to that question is not hard to find. You see, King Saul's life was undermined by disobedience. He didn't have the courage he should have had because, the, again, the righteous are bold as a lion. The righteous are bold as a lion. King Saul lacked that boldness. Why? I believe it was because his life was undermined, his courage was undermined by disobedience. By disobedience. You see, it was just a couple of chapters before this where King Saul had disobeyed the command of God. He disobeyed the command to kill King Agag and all the Amalekites, and he uh, uh, he 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 left it uh, he left it undone. And by the way, partial obedience is disobedience. He didn't do everything he should have done. And uh, and of course, uh, the man of God, Samuel, confronted King Saul and said, "Hey, Saul, what's going on? Didn't you do what God asked you to do?" And King Saul said, "Well, you know, the people taught me out of it." And he starts passing the buck, and, and uh, you know, all of us are really good at that. He starts uh, blaming it on someone else and, and uh, shifting the blame to other parties and other people. And he said, uh, King Saul said, or, or I'm sorry, Samuel said to, to Saul, he said, God has taken away your kingdom. Because of your disobedience, King Saul, God has taken away your kingdom. And I believe with all my heart, we come to 1 Samuel 17, and Saul, who should have been the one who exemplified courage, Saul was the one who was cowering. 
He was cowering. You know why? That's what disobedience does for you. That's what disobedience to the Word of God does for you, Christian. Hey, you want boldness in your life? You want to take a strong stand? I'm not talking about being a jerk for Jesus. <laughs> I'm not talking about uh, uh, being unkind to people. By the way, you can take the right kind of stand with the right kind of disposition. You can take the right kind of stand for the Lord and do it with the right kind of spirit. But, but it takes courage. It takes courage to take a stand for righteousness. God told him to destroy the Amalekites, and he didn't do it. And because of that, Saul lacked courage. But there's a second uh, uh, weapon that I see that David took with him. It wasn't just a staff in, his, in one hand and a slingshot in the other hand. David took courage with him to the battlefield. And then there's a second weapon that I see. David took his memory. His memory. You say, Pastor, that's kind of a strange, strange weapon. What do you mean his memory? Look with me, if you will, at 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 34. 1 Samuel 17 and verse number 34. The Bible says, And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. Verse 35, And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Wow, David's a bad dude. <laughs> I mean, here he is, a teenager. And that was his testimony. He not only took courage with him to the battlefield, but he also took the memory or the remembrance of past victories. He went with him with the knowledge and with the memory of how God had helped him in the past. Notice how David used his memory of the past. Number one, he focused on the victories. You know, what? one of our problems is many times we focus on the defeats of life and that takes away our courage that we ought to have for the future. David focused on past victories. Past victories. He said, King Saul, uh, all respect, sir, but the God of heaven helped me defeat a, a bear. And the God of heaven helped me defeat a lion. <laughs> and, and Goliath is going to be just like those animals that came out against my sheep. What was he doing? He was reminiscing about God's hand of deliverance. He was thinking about how God had provided for him. He was, he used his past victories as confidence for today's victory. Look, God's been good to you. I don't care who you are, what your name is, how little or how often you come to church, God has been good to everybody sitting in these pews in here this morning. You say, how do you know that? You don't know me from Adam. You're here. You're here. You have the opportunity to come and to sit uh, under the preaching of the Word of God, and I have the, the opportunity to come and to fellowship with God's people and to sing together and to be encouraged together. And the fact that God gave you the health to do that is a testimony to God's goodness in your life. If you're here and you can honestly say, Preacher, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. God's been good to you. You're saved. You're on your way to heaven. There is no greater blessing than knowing that you're saved. There's no greater joy than to know that your name is written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. Many of you have, have come through, uh, I guess all of us could say that God has brought us through victories in the past. Just like David could stand there and, and say to Saul and reminisce about what God had done for him in past victories, you and I could do that. You could talk about how God has answered your prayers. You can talk about the health that God has given you. You can talk about the uh, uh, fellows. You, by the way, 
Hint, hint. Good place to say amen right here, fellas. <coughs> fellas, you can talk about how, how God gave you a wonderful wife. Ah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the Bible says, Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. <laughs> Ladies, I won't, I won't go on your side of that because, anyway. Uh, <laughs> but but no, seriously, we could all talk about God's goodness to us and to our spouse and to our, our families and in our homes and in our health and in our, our, our eternal destiny if we're saved. Hey, all of us could stop and thank God and praise God for His goodness to us. May I help all of us? The same God that helped you yesterday is available to help you today. The same God. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, the songwriter said, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. What is that? That is a songwriter by the name of John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace who took a few moments and said, you know what, God, God helped me in the past. God has given me victories. God has given me wonderful things in my life. God's provided for me in ways that I cannot describe. And that same God who was faithful to provide for me in the past is the same God who will be faithful to provide for me today. And if He gives me a tomorrow, He'll help me then and all throughout life until I wake up in glory and behold His face. Hey, I'm here to say, why don't we take that weapon of our memory of what God has done for us and say, God's been good to me. The Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You know, you can use that verse other than just the last Thursday of November. <laughs> Newsflash. <laughs> Did you know that verse applies to all the other 364 days of the year as well, not just Thanksgiving Day? It's amazing how, and thank God for Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving. <clears throat> but, but, but why don't we have the presence of mind to th be thankful for what God has done for us Year round. 365 and 366 on leap year day, uh, years. <laughs> His memory. David used the memory of what God had done to help him with his current battle. And then I want you to see the final weapon that God, that, or that David took with him to the battlefield. We said, first of all, he took courage with him. He took his memory with him. And then finally this morning, he took faith with him. He took faith with him. Yes, God used David's sling. And yes, God used those five smooth stones that David picked up. And yes, David was skillful in the use of the slingshot. But it was not David and his skill that won the battle with Goliath. It was his faith in an all-powerful God that felled the giant. King Saul looked to himself and trembled. Israel looked toward human leadership, and the Bible says they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Everybody in the camp of Israel was fearful, and rightfully so. But there was one young man who, when he arrived at the battlefield, it wasn't just sling and staff, it was courage, and it was his memory of God's past deliverance in his life. And there was a faith in God there that was indescribable. There was a faith in God that is rare among, I hate to say it, even God's people. There was a faith, a belief, a trust. You see, faith is not simply, well, yeah, there's a God. There's a God. You understand the devils believe that and tremble. The devils, the demons of hell could take you down the Romans road. They know who Jesus is. They know who God the Father is. They know. 
Well, wait a minute. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 6, now faith, or the, the book of Hebrews, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You read down a few verses, and then you come to verse 6. The Bible says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Don't miss it. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Now, if we stop right there, if that verse ends right there, we're all good. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. All of us would raise our hand and say, I believe in God. I'm in church, am I not? <laughs> I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe in God. But wait a minute, it doesn't stop there. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and don't miss it, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently, diligently seek him. May it be said of all of us who would raise our hand to say, I believe in God. May it be said of us that we would diligently seek God. It's one thing to believe that God is. It's another thing to diligently seek after God and believe in Him and trust Him and, uh, and go to Him and spend time on our knees every day of the week and say, Oh God, I need you, God. I gotta have you. Oh God, don't fail me. Oh God, I believe in what you did for me in the past. I believed you for salvation. I believed you to take my eternal soul to heaven. I believed you to, to, to get me out of a jam in the past. And oh God, I need you today. I wonder how much time collectively we've spent on our knees as a church family this week. You see, it's really difficult to separate faith and prayer. Again, he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Have we been seeking after God? Oh, I believe David, <clears throat> you, you read the Psalms, you read the sweet songs that, that the Holy Spirit of God used David to pen, and David's life is characterized by a young man, and yes, oh, not a perfect man, someone who made some mistakes, no, no question about it throughout his life, but David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says so. David was the young man, and even into his later adult years, he was the man who sought after God on a regular basis. And when Saul looked to himself and trembled, by the way, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. You say, oh, preacher, I've got confidence in me. That's pretty weak right there. Doesn't matter who you are. Confidence in yourself is not going to get you the victory. Confidence in God will get you the victory. Confidence in your abilities and your personality and your charisma and your intellect and, uh, and all of the resources that you have at your disposal, that is nothing compared to what God can do for you. You see, at some point, if we're going to please God, we're going to have to realize that we're not all that. <laughs> we don't have all the answers. And here's little David, the shepherd boy, who had <coughs> he had, didn't have a whole lot, just a sling in one hand and a staff in the other and five smooth stones, and, and God wrought a, a great victory that day. But may I say, it wasn't the staff and it wasn't the sling and it wasn't the stone. that what, what, it was, it, it, That's not what brought David, Goliath down. No, it was David's faith in God. It was God Almighty who brought Goliath down. You see, faith cheerfully faces hardships. Whatever you're going through this morning, <clears throat> you need God. And the sooner you're willing to admit you need God, the better off you're going to be. <laughs> Faith cheerfully endures hardships. Oh, pastor, I'm, I'm up against today. I'm really facing today. Okay, believe in God. Trust in God. 
I'm not just saying acknowledge God's existence. I'm saying seek after God. Diligently seek after God. Not only that, faith uh, doesn't complain and find fault. Faith doesn't complain and find fault. You know, <clears throat> many times we would find ourselves in a position to blame God for our circumstances. God, you haven't been good to me. You know, maybe we should stop and think about what we say before we say it, especially when we're talking to God. So often we're tempted to point a finger at God and blame Him because He allowed bad circumstances to happen to me, as if somehow God owes us something. The famous question everybody asks, Pastor, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? i got a better question than that. Why does God allow good things to happen to any of us? Look, God was, look, if God never ever does a be, does one positive thing for Kevin Dale, he's done more for me than I ever had a right to expect. He gave me life, he created me, and he gave me redemption. God has just those two things. If he, look, if, uh, if he never provided me with another penny, if he never gave me another meal, if he took away the shelter, if he took away uh, all of these securities that I have and other things, if he took all of it away, I have no right to go to God and say, God, you've not been good to me. No right. Faith doesn't complain and find fault. Hey, faith overcomes obstacles. Faith overcomes obstacles. Uh, there was no bigger obstacle for David at that moment than a 10-foot-tall galoot in the valley named Goliath. But it was faith in God that, overcome, that overcame Goliath. Faith looks beyond all difficulties to a God who is greater than all. Faith in God wins the victory every single time. Why don't we learn to trust God? There's a song in our songbook. <clears throat> Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust. You get that? To trust him more. Faith is not simply believing that there's a God in heaven. Faith is when you depend upon God on a daily basis. That's what faith is. Faith is... If you, if you were to make a little acrostic, my dad used to make acrostics with different words in the Bible, and he would take the, the F-A-I-T-H of faith, and he would make an acrostic with it, and he would say, forsaking all, I trust him. Forsaking all, I trust him. Hey, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. Faith isn't just something that you access for salvation and then forget about the rest of your life. No, the Bible says those of us who are saved, we're to live by faith. We're to live trusting in the Lord. We're to live believing God. We're to live in such a way where our life is characterized by a, a, a relationship with God and a, a communion with God and a, a daily dependency upon God. That's what faith is. Faith in God wins the victory every time. Let me give you a verse, 1 John 5, 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Even our faith. Let me wrap it up this morning by saying this. Maybe you and I need to pick up some of David's other weapons. Maybe you and I need to pick up some courage today. You say, preacher, how do I get courage? You, you, you don't get courage like, uh, who was that, the... Uh, the tin man? Was that the tin man? The lion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta have, <laughs> sorry, I don't, I don't know my Bible as well as you do. But anyway, uh, 
I apologize. <laughs> but uh, remember the lion on the Wizard of Oz? Some of you just got your attention. Some of you just woke up. What'd you learn today? The Wizard of Oz in church, anyway. But you know, the old lion, courage, courage. I gotta have courage. You don't muster up courage. You don't, here we go, courage, 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 gotta have courage, gotta have courage. You don't get it that way. The Bible says the righteous are bold as a lion. You want courage? Do right. Do right in the face of anyone who would keep you from doing right. Do right when the world would flow against you. Do right when the gates of hell would line themselves in array against you. Do right when your own flesh wants to do nothing but wrong. Do right, do right, do right. That's where you get courage from. Cultivate courage. Courage born out of faithfulness and obedience to God. Do right. That's where you get courage. If I may say, motivate yourself through memory. Remember God's blessings to you. Remember how God's come through for you in the past. Hey, that's another weapon you ought to use this week. When you'd be tempted to quit this week, when you'd be tempted to throw in the towel this week, when you'd be tempted to compromise this week, when you'd be <coughs> tempted to, uh, 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 to, to curry favor with the wrong crowd like we talked about in Sunday school this week. Hey, when you, hey, when that comes, why don't you say, I remember how good God has been to me and the same God that brought me thus far is going to lead me home. And then finally, have faith in God. Have faith in God. You say, preacher, it sounds so simple. You know, we stumble over the simplicity of the Bible. We really do. Take your eyes off of the obstacles and get your eyes back on Jesus. Take your eyes off of what is wrong and get your eyes on Him who is right. The Bible says just and right. Is he have faith in God. Quit looking out at the circumstances and look up to the God who saved your soul from eternal hell. Hey, don't trust in you. Trust in God. If you're here this morning, you don't know for sure you're going to heaven. May I say to you, the only way you're going to go to heaven is faith. Faith. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Hey, if you're going to go to heaven, it's faith in Jesus, and that's it. That's it. The Bible says the just shall live by faith, but the Bible also says, for by grace are you saved through faith. Through faith. What is faith? Faith is total dependency upon Christ. Faith is when you look at your works and say, that won't save me. Faith is when you look at the, at, at, at baptism. Baptism won't save you. Church attendance won't save you. Being a good person won't save you. No, faith is when you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I, I'm, I'm miserably lost without you and I depend upon Jesus and, and you alone, Jesus, to take me to heaven. That's faith. I remember my preacher many years ago, Dr. Lonnie Graves. He gives his testimony about when he got saved. He was a, an uneducated gypsy. And he said when, he, when somebody showed him the gospel for the first time, he said, I didn't know what to say. And by the way, it's not your words that save you, it's your faith in Christ. He said, I didn't know what to say. He said, but as a simple gypsy fellow, he said, I bowed my head and I, he said, Jesus, I want you to save me from hell. And he said, Jesus, if I go to hell, I just want you to know it's going to be your fault. You know what you call that? Faith. Total dependency upon Christ. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
hey, I wouldn't walk, I'd run down that aisle. If I was here this morning, I didn't, know, I didn't have 100% assurance in my heart that I was going to heaven, I wouldn't walk out those doors before I got it right. You're among friends here today. We would love the opportunity to take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can, by faith, trust Jesus Christ as your only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. David's other weapons. Courage, memory of what God's done for me in the past, faith in God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. I wonder <clears throat> this morning how many in this room would say, Preacher, I may not be everything that I should be. Preacher, as a Christian, I make all kinds of mistakes and I often fail. I'm often not what God wants me to be. But preacher, I can say with honest assurance in my heart, I know that I'm saved because I've come to Jesus by faith. I'm not believing in my church attendance. I'm not believing in my past. I'm not believing in my baptism. I'm not believing in anything or anybody else to save me from hell except for Jesus Christ and Him alone. Preacher, I know I'm saved. Can you raise your hand as a testimony if that's your testimony? God bless you all over the building. You can put your hand down. I wonder how many this morning will say, Preacher, I couldn't raise my hand because I'm not sure. There's just a little bit of doubt. There's just a little bit of doubt. There's just a little bit of hesitancy about my salvation. I don't know for sure that heaven is my home. Preacher, would you pray with me about that? Would you raise your hand? I'd love to have the opportunity to pray with you about that. Preacher, pray with me. I don't know for sure I'm saved. I just don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Anybody like that? Anybody? I'll just raise your hand. Let me see it. Put it right back down. Anyone at all? Preacher, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. I don't know for sure that I'm saved. All right. All right. How many Christians here this morning would say, Preacher, God spoke to my heart. In the battles that I face on a daily basis, I need courage. And I found out this morning that courage comes from being righteous. Courage comes from doing the right thing. Courage comes from faithfulness to the Lord. That's where courage, the righteous, are bold as a lion. Or maybe it was, preacher, I need to take some time to remember how good God's been to me. Or maybe it's, preacher, I just need to trust God more. I need to live by faith. I, I, I haven't been walking by faith. I've been depending upon the arm of the flesh and my own abilities, and, and that's where I've been defeated. Somewhere along the line, preacher, God spoke to my heart as a Christian this morning. I'll raise my hand and ask you to pray with me about something. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all stand together. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. In just a moment, we're going to have the invitation song. And as the musicians begin to play here in just a few moments, if God spoke to your heart in any way, and you need to use the altar. Boy, I, don't hesitate on that. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, whether you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand, if you don't know heaven is your home, I want you to leave your seat and come down to the front and let one of these men have someone take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can leave here knowing that heaven is your home. If you have been saved, but you've never been baptized, if you know that you're saved, but you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, the water's warm, we have a robe for you. That first step of obedience after salvation is scriptural baptism. You ought to do that. You ought to do that. If you're here as a saved person and, uh, and, and you're living a defeated life, maybe you need to start with that righteousness that will give you courage. And maybe you ought to start thinking about how good God's been to you in the past so that you can use it for future victories. Maybe you ought to exercise that faith in God, that daily reliance upon the Lord. Spend time in His Word. Spend time on your knees. Whatever God has spoken to your heart about, while they play, you come. Don't wait. 
don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't delay. <clears throat> don't say, I'll take care of it next week. No, no, you don't know what today holds. The Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow. Now, know it's not what a day may bring forth. I'll play through another verse. <clears throat> if God spoke into your heart, you know, in every invitation, there's a battle that goes on in the hearts of people. Satan wants you to wait. His number one weapon of choice is for you to wait. Procrastinate. Put it off. Don't do it today. Do it some other time. God says today's the day. About whatever the decision is that you need to make, today is the day of salvation. Today's the day, Christian, for you to implement righteousness and living right, faithfulness in your life. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. These are praying. I think one has come for baptism this morning. Following the Lord in that first step of obedience is a wonderful thing. What is it that God wants for you? You know, there's, there's no cookie-cutter decisions. You're, a, you're an individual. You're important to God. What is it that God wants you to do? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You. Thank You for being so good to us. Thank You for the reminders that You've given us from Your Word. I pray, Father, that You'd help us to put these things into practice. Father, I pray that You'd help us to, to live righteously. Help Your people to be bold as a lion. And that only comes when we decide that we're going to follow the Word of God. I pray that You'd help us and remind us of Your goodness. And Father, help us to live by faith throughout the week. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. And uh, I believe we have one who's gone for baptism. Is that right? And so uh, we'll sing just a couple of verses of a familiar uh, hymn. And at what number, Brother Dave? 23. Number 23. There's power in the blood. I want you to sing it out, but you can remain seated while you sing. Number 23. There's power in the blood. <clears throat> Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power.